It's Think Tank Thursday. It's 10.07, and, man, we got a lineup for you, and that includes, among others, Ron Calzone, why he thinks that uh, the Missouri State Senate is, uh, well, in his mind, lawless. We'll find out about that. Then, uh, just before that, we are going to uh, check in with the Republican National Committee. Their Director of Strategic Communications, Gates McGavick, is going to be with us. Uh, apparently, uh, Google is sending their fundraising emails into junk mail. What's behind that? I don't know. But we are going to start off with Patrick Ishmael. He is the Director of Government Accountability over at the Show Me Institute. And he's going to take a look at uh, that Missouri special session, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're not talking Brian here. Uh, Patrick, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Gary? I'm doing well. Um, all right. Well, what good came out of this? What What's the good? Well, I think the, the good was actually really good. And the, the big good here is the tax cut. Um, as listeners may already know, uh, yesterday the governor signed into law uh, SBs 3 and 5. And what that law does is that starting next year, the new top tax rate for income taxes in Missouri is going to be 4.95%. Below 5% for the first time, that's a big milestone. Uh, but over the next few years, it's actually going to drop down to about 4.5% based off of revenue triggers. And the idea behind that is that if the state is still making more money, if they still have enough money to fund services, the tax rates can continue to go down. And so that's what we've seen over the last few years. Uh, rates have been going down on that basis. We're going to see a little bit more of that, and it's going to end up, uh, you know, bottoming out at about 4.5%. That's a big deal. That's great news. I think that in the future, we'll probably see more tax cuts along those lines where the rate will fall as long as revenue is, you know, sustained. Um, but, you know, after a legislative session uh, this spring and, and, you know, early winter where not a whole lot got done, the fact that the special session was called at all, I think, was uh, a big deal. It was great news because not much had been accomplished. Uh, and this is a, a great advancement. Now, there, were, there was one other bill that also passed and was signed yesterday, and that one dealt with agricultural tax credits. And as you know and as your listeners may know, uh, the Show Me Institute have, has long been against economic development tax credits. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about uh, builders and cities getting handouts from the government or whether it's farmers in the country getting handouts from the government. Um, those are not necessarily the best investments. And generally speaking, you are better off as a government investing in, shall we say, the marketplace by cutting everyone's taxes, allowing people to invest in themselves and their families and their businesses and their communities, rather than, than just trying to take a big bet and try to say this industry is going to power the state through. This is going to be like the future for the state. It's better to diversify that investment through a tax cut rather than pushing tax credits. Uh, both got passed this uh, special session. The tax cuts were great news. The tax credits, not so good news. But overall, I think this was a, a positive special session. And again, tax rates are falling. Uh, and But, you know, I would love to see those tax rates go down even further, but it may take a, a couple of years for uh, that next step to happen. Well, you, you know that the state, and, and even as a libertarian, I recognize the state has to have a source, a source of revenue. Um, and the income tax is not one I'm particularly fond of. Uh, so no matter how you know, low they go, they eventually will reach the bottom. They can't, they, they won't be able to get rid of it. They won't be able to say, well, we'll live without it. Uh, but I would love to see them go to a sales tax. And I know that Rex Singfield, 
uh, tried to get the uh, to get that to happen, uh, but somehow it got thwarted. Uh, do you know of any movements out there, Patrick, where uh, they're pushing to get rid of this state income tax? Yeah, well, I mean, you, there's, of course, the, the, the fair tax. And then you also, of course, as far as Missouri is concerned, we have different brackets as well. And so I think short term, what you're probably going to look at in Missouri is a movement toward a flat tax. Uh, and then as soon as that, you know, the, the income tax is sufficiently low enough where it can be transitioned maybe into a fair tax. Uh, I think that you may see, rather than just like straight up tax cuts, you may need to see more like a tax reform where the revenue that was coming from income taxes ends up being pushed into sales taxes instead. So I think that that is a better way forward. Now, of course, when we talk about uh, the, the problems with income taxes, one of the biggest problems is that it damages growth. It's just harmful to growth, especially corporate income taxes. And so if you're looking to promote growth, moving towards a sales tax is uh, a great idea. Um, the, the literature actually suggests that if you move toward a property tax, that's even better for growth, although that's not necessarily the route that you want to go. There are other reasons to, you know, uh, not uh, move toward a property tax among them that, you know, if you have a property tax, especially a big one, uh, do you really own your property because you're effectively paying rent to the government to keep it? Uh, otherwise, they can, of course, take your property. So um, from a growth perspective, property taxes are the best option. But like you said, there are movements afoot, of course, across the country to move away from income taxes and towards uh, sales taxes. Fair tax is a, a very popular notion uh, and one that I think we might end up moving toward in, in Missouri. But, I mean, the big changes require a lot of work and a lot of time to get consensus. And so, uh, you know, at the current rate, though, I will say this, is that, uh, if we keep just reducing our income tax by, you know, 0.1%, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be at 4.5%, but it'll still take 45 or 50 years at that rate if we have those reductions, you know, in the years ahead to really get rid of the income tax. I think the, the legislature eventually is going to have to take a big bite out of it and say, no, we're going to bite the bullet and we're going to make this shift toward a sales tax or a property tax, but I think sales tax is far more likely. Uh, and I think the tax cuts alone are not going to be just that the only way that you're going to get rid of the income tax, you are going to have to actually reorganize the way that we collect money. Because, like you said, we have to fund government. There's a baseline of government services that is appropriate. How you fund it, though, I think that the legislature is going to have to put some thought into and, and you know, make some hard decisions in the coming years. Yeah, I would like to see it uh, as a consumption tax, and I've, I've said that in the, on the air before, uh, because then every time somebody calls for more spending, um, everybody sees exactly where it's going to hit them. Uh, it's not delayed for uh, six months until tax time. Uh, it hits them right away. And I think that would discourage a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, promoting of big government. I, I agree. And the other part in Missouri, of course, is that it's relatively difficult to raise taxes. Uh, I mean, certainly, you know, uh, with the gas tax, they've kind of gone around that because the tax increases there were sufficiently small under state law that uh, they could avoid it. But especially for statewide taxes, you really are going to have to uh, get public support for something like that. I think that's a, a very good kind of system. Uh, for tax cuts, not so difficult to do, but for tax increases, uh, you, you have to get buy-in from the public. Uh, and uh, I think that's a, a great way to run a government and ensure that government doesn't get uh, large and out of control. Patrick Ishmael from the Show Me Institute, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Gary. All right, buddy. Take care. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show on Think Tank Thursday. And coming up, Gates McFadden, the 
McCavick. McGavick. What did I say? Oh, I was thinking of the actor. Uh, listen, uh, Gates is uh, the RNC Director of Strategic Communications. And we'll chat with Gates Una momento on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's uh, 1018 on Think Tank Thursday, and uh, from the RNC, Gates McGavick is on board with us. And uh, I saw this uh, this article uh, about what was going on with fundraising emails. Uh, RNC uh, says Google suppressed more than 22 million GOTV uh, fundraising emails in September. Gates, what, uh, what, uh, how is that possible? Well, it's, it's big tech censorship uh, all over again. So basically what happens is, you know, every month we send out lots of fundraising emails, get out the vote emails for interested voters, telling them to go to the polls. And every month, right at the end of the month, when we're about to hit our goals, um, Gmail suppresses millions of our emails and sends them straight to, straight to spam. And this is a consistent pattern. Uh, it's happened month after month after month, and we've tried to work with Google to try and fix this because it's you know clearly big tech suppressing Republican voters, um, and they have really refused to work with us. So now we're at a point where we're weighing our legal options, and we're going to do whatever it takes to uh, fix this problem because, frankly, it undermines democracy, and big tech is just out of control. Well, I assume that if the RNC does this, the DNC does this, are they having a problem that you're aware of? No, Republican emails are suppressed at a much higher rate than Democrat emails sent to spam at a much higher rate. Just coincidence, Gates. Just coincidence. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good faith mistake. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's. I mean, this is the same thing as Twitter banning President Trump, right? I mean, our chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, had an episode of her podcast uh, taken down from YouTube a few months ago. You know, big tech um, run by Democrats, and they're willing to put their thumb on the scale to uh, help their party. You know, the the irony of big tech is that they use math for all of their software and uh, all their programs and everything. You'd think that they would be more logical and less emotional in their decision making. Uh, but apparently that is not the case. By the way, uh, what do you think about uh, this, uh, this deal with uh, Musk and Twitter going through? Because I'm actually... Go ahead. I'm, I'm not super familiar with the details of it, but, I mean, anything that promotes free speech on Twitter uh, is for the best. Obviously, Twitter has a history of um, shutting down conservative speech, and so I think a, a fresh approach um, to, to how Twitter is run would probably benefit the political system in America. I was actually talking uh, on the air yesterday about getting back on Twitter because I just gave up. I, yeah. you know, I don't want to be censored. Uh, I don't want to make the, the left wealthy. Uh, so I just gave up. But if Musk is taking over and doing as I as he implies, I'd go back on there. I think he could actually, by f- giving everybody free speech, he could make Twitter profitable. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, he's clearly he's a visionary, right? Um, and you know, he's he said some very pro Republican things uh, in the past several months, which has also been really interesting to see. And of course, now the left. Can't stand him, even though he's the one who delivered, uh, you know, delivered Tesla, the electric cars. So it's, it's funny to see how, you know, he was once a hero of the left, and then he had the, the nerve to say there should be more free speech on Twitter, and now now they can't stand him. Gates, I'm going to twist you around to a whole different direction here. We're going to go down to Georgia, because this is a race. There are two races that I'm really interested in. One of them is Pennsylvania. The other one is Georgia for the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the latest revelation about the Republican Senate campaign in Georgia... Or is that uh, he 
is alleged, we don't have any proof, he's alleged to have funded uh, an abortion down there. What's your sense of the voter mindset in Georgia? Uh, is it, you know, we just, we got to stop the this Democrat, uh, uh, you know, we, we got to stop the Democrats. We could do it in the Senate. I'm going to vote for them anyway. Uh, is there a, a concern of hypocrisy or, you know, w- what do you think? I think the most important thing in Georgia, two numbers for you. Number one, Biden's approval rating in Georgia is 31%. And Raphael Warnock votes with Biden 96% of the time. I think that's that's what this race is going to hinge on. Everything that Biden has delivered for America, skyrocketing costs, rising crime, open border, 87,000 IRS agents, student loan bailout. Warnock is on the hook for all of that. And since Warnock started representing Georgia, things in Georgia have gotten objectively worse. Also, Warnock's record is pretty terrible. He has multiple domestic disputes. He was arrested for obstructing a police investigation into a child abuse case 20 years ago. Um, Warnock is most certainly no saint, and above all, he's a terrible senator. And I think that's the message that's going to bring Republicans home and put Herschel across the finish line. Any concern that Herschel Walker is not as facile and they're going to have a debate how that might turn out? No, I think Herschel has Herschel's focused on the policies that matter to Georgians. I mean, I don't think voters care that much about this back and forth, you know, D.C. scandal stuff. I think they care about the fact that everything is more expensive, streets are less safe, and Herschel is the only one with a compelling vision and actual policies that would improve the lives of Georgians. So I think, you know, his vision for Georgia is the one that aligns with the majority of voters in Georgia, and I think that's going to carry him across the finish line. Let's head up to Pennsylvania, where uh, you have a, a Democrat candidate suffering from aphasia. Um, they're going to have a debate. He actually, he actually can't respond to the auditory inputs uh, because his mind won't process them. So he wants to use, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, where you type everything out uh, it, it, to respond to questions. He has to read them. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is that is that going to be uh, a signal to Pennsylvanians that this guy is suffering from a, a mental problem? And I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean, he had a stroke. Yeah. No, I think basically everyone is very much hoping that he gets better. Um, being in the Senate is also a very demanding job where you have to kind of be conversing, be talking 24-7. And look... Fetterman is kind of hiding from the media. He doesn't really talk to press um, because of the same issue. There's that, and then there's his record. I mean, this is a guy who wants to legalize heroin. He wants to release one-third of all prison inmates in Pennsylvania, even as crime goes through the roof in cities like Philadelphia. He's also a guy who lived off his parents' money into his 40s. And I just saw an article this morning that he only attended a third of his scheduled duties as lieutenant governor. I mean, he's not only does he have terrible policy, not only is he a fake working-class hero who actually lived off his rich parents, but he also is just lazy. He didn't do any work as lieutenant governor. Um, and so I think the more that Oz and, and Fetterman are compared, just the better Oz comes off. I mean, Oz is a guy who achieved the American dream, son of immigrants, you know, multiple life-saving patents, saved so many lives as a doctor. And he has, he's out campaigning 24-7, talking to voters. Again, he has the policies that work, lower costs, supporting the police. There's a reason that sheriffs across Pennsylvania are coming out for Oz and warning about Fetterman, um, both in terms of policy and how they, yeah, how they present on TV to 
two voters, I think Oz is in a really strong spot in picking up steam. Where, where, where's the latest polling on Oz and Fetterman? I think it's all in the margin of error, but the important thing is the trend, right? Over the past couple months, Oz has been consistently gaining. Um, the more that voters see of Fetterman, the less they like him. And again, those policies are just out of step with Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, it's a culturally conservative swing state, and John Fetterman is as extreme as they come. He's not a fit for the voters of Pennsylvania. And again, Oz, the more voters see him, the more they like him. He's picking up steam at just the right time. Yeah, this is the, this is about the time when you want to start that uh, when you want to hit that crescendo there. Uh, finally, Ohio, my home state, uh, that that's looking pretty good for uh, for the Republicans. The governor is is way out in front. Probably has mm-hmm. some coattails. But what yeah. about the Senate seat? How are we doing? I think we feel like we're in a good place. We obviously have to sprint through the finish line. But, you know, Ohio voted for President Trump in 2016 and 2020. Tim Ryan has been a career politician for over 20 years, and he is just the ultimate chameleon, right? First, he hated Nancy Pelosi. Now he loves her. He attacked Biden during the presidential campaign, then said he loved Biden. Now he won't campaign with Biden. And meanwhile, you have a guy like J.D. Vance, who is a political outsider, understands what's wrong in D.C., He's an America first candidate. I just think uh, Ohioans see what elected Democrats like Tim Ryan has delivered for the state. And I think J.D. Vance is in a really strong position to bring some new leadership. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. I'm watching the Pennsylvania debate. I cannot wait to watch that. Must see uh, TV. Huh? It's must watch TV. Yeah, yeah, must see TV. Absolutely right. Gates McGavick, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. All right, Gates McGavick. Uh, on uh, Think Tank Thursday. All right, coming up, Ron Calzone is uh, is going to be with us, and uh, he really is not impressed with uh, the Missouri State Senate. He actually said the agricultural tax credit, uh, that bill illustrates how lawless Missouri State Senate is. Uh, then we'll have a little time with Bill Slants. Uh, Bill is, of course, uh, the chairman of the Libertarian Party in the state of Missouri. Uh, and he'll be on for a few minutes to uh, bring some topics to the table. So that's all coming up. And then Dave Rowland, perhaps one of my favorite guests. Uh, to what extent does Missouri's sunshine law allow citizens to look into our elections? Freedom Center may be taking on a new case that is uh, going to find out whether election officials are required to let citizens review cast vote records uh, of the sort that uh, Mike Lindell has been asking them to obtain. Missouri Supreme Court upholds a law stripping state workers of merit system protections. Justices ponder Clean Water Act application to wetlands. In Jackson's first oral argument, uh, this is her, her first uh, at-bat, if you will, since getting on the Supreme Court. Uh, and then uh, Jackson's argument against race neutrality. It is faux originalism, or at least that's what's asserted. Dave Rowland's going to be around to chat about that. We invite you to stay with us. Be a part of the program. You can uh, send me a message at GaryNolan.com, or you can even... Pick up the phone and ask our guests a question. You're entitled. It's your it's your hour. Well, three, if you will. On the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. 
This is the Gary Nolan Show. Hey, welcome. It is uh, 35 minutes after 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. And uh, coming up uh, here in just a few seconds, uh, we are going to chat with Ron Calzone, who says the agricultural tax credit bill illustrates how lawless Missouri State Senate is. What? Lawless? Ron, please explain. I'm sure you're surprised to find out that I I take exception to the way the Missouri General Assembly conducts business on occasion. Yeah, but you're suggesting lawlessness. Yeah, well, so what's lawlessness? If, there, if, if there's any set of laws that are critical, they are the laws that constrain government. They are the laws that place handcuffs on government. And, and the Constitution is primarily designed to do that, to define and limit the role of government, both the federal government and the state governments. You know, and when you, when you fail to abide by uh, the constitutional limits that uh, the people place on you through the Constitution, then, uh, then I think that's lawlessness. And so what happened with uh, the Ag Tax Credit Bill, first understand that there were two bills that, were, that ended up being identical. There was uh, Senate Bill 8 and then House Bill 3. House Bill 3 ended up being the one that both the House and the Senate passed and then the governor signed, I believe that was yesterday. When, when um, the governor calls a special session, the Constitution says that he has to explain uh, specifically each matter on which the action he's calling the special session for uh, shall be deemed. And so uh, the General Assembly it, it believes that it's limited then to considering those things. But that's all the Constitution says, is that the governor has to state specifically each matter. Uh, so then what happened is, is when Senate Bill 8 was on the floor on the 20th, uh, a substitute was introduced that included a section that doesn't deal with tax credits at all, which is the only thing the governor listed in the uh, in his call for the special session, but it added something dealing with land surveying. And, and frankly, I don't understand what problem they're trying to solve with this land surveying police, but it has nothing to do with tax credits, absolutely nothing to do with tax credits. Senator Onder raised a point of order, and he said that this addition of this land surveying piece exceeds what the governor's call was, and so therefore they, they can't consider it. It has to be stripped from the bill. And when an objection is raised like that, the matter is referred to the president pro tem of the Senate, who's Dave Schatz right now, and, and he is the one that ultimately decides should the point of order be well taken or not. And so he looked at it and he, and he said, well, the point of order is not well taken. We'll allow this piece dealing with land surveying to stay in the bill. Okay, so that was the first point of order offered in this special session. Fast forward to the fourth. That's when the House bill came over to the Senate, and in that time, at that time, um, Senator Moon offered an objection, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he offered an amendment to the bill that would say, well, if we're going to have these tax credits, we're going to limit them to American citizens. So no alien or foreign business shall be eligible for a tax credit under these various sections. And so Senator Hageman raised a point of order saying that that amendment was out of order because it exceeds the scope of the governor's call. So basically the same point of order that Onder issued, Senator Onder made. Again, it's referred to the president pro tem of the Senate, 
This time he comes back and he says that point of order is well taken. So an amendment that deals specifically with tax credits, as the governor asked the session to be deal with, and only simply limits who's eligible for the tax credits to American citizens, they say is out of order. The president of the Senate says this is an out-of-order amendment. So you don't have any rules being followed. You don't have any laws being adhered to. You have the fiat of, in this case, one person, the president pro tem of the Senate, not even applying whatever principles he's, he may or may not have consistently. That's lawlessness. So what recourse do we have? Is there any recourse? Well, I don't, I don't think that there's any practical legal recourse for something like that because uh, the courts will say the, the Senate is a, is a co-equal branch of government and because of the separation of powers doctrine, we're not going to tell them how to conduct their business. You know, so I think the, the, the recourse is for people to get upset. And, and when you have uh, legislative fiat taking place, then you need to consider different legislators and you need to maybe put pressure on legislator, legislative leadership. Yeah, so, you know, right now you have um, Senator Caleb Browden is the majority floor leader. He'll be in the Senate and, uh, you know, for at least another couple years. Uh, Senator Schatz is termed out, so he will not be in the Senate. So that means they've got to, they've got to select a new president pro tem. Uh, oftentimes the majority floor leader advances to become the president pro tem of the Senate. And the problem is, is that I think from a lot of people's perspective is, is that uh, Senator Rowden and Senator Schatz, you know, work closely together. They seem to be in league. Um, you can expect kind of the same behavior out of Senator Rowden as you're getting out of Senator Schatz. So one thing you could do is you could insist that uh, we start fresh with new leadership from ground up. Uh, that's one thing to do. Uh, yeah. You know what the, you know what the problem real problem too? is here? That, uh, that uh, people who vote have a very short memory and they aren't going to do a damn thing about it. They'll, they'll forget uh, that uh, this happened and go in the same direction they always do. That's true. Or, or the legislator will do one good thing that, that they particularly like and you know, so they'll vote for them based on that one good thing or maybe five good things. And you know, there's, there are things, in, in, in my estimation, there are things that exceed the, the pale. And so they're beyond the pale. When, when you are this blatantly partisan in the way you conduct your business, you know, so the president pro tem is supposed to be a parliamentarian. And, and a parliamentarian should be treating everybody fairly on every question, whether they agree with them or not. They should just be simply a, a, a gatekeeper for the rules. And, and when you're this blatant about, about um, inconsistent application of whatever you think the rules are, I mean, there's room to be mistaken about the rules. You know, there's, there's definitely room to have different opinions about how to apply constitutional provisions. And that's why we have uh, lawyers on both sides of issues and judges that don't always agree. You know, but when you yourself are not even being consistent in how you apply the rules, then that's a problem. I agree. Uh, it's just sometimes it feels like we're spitting into the wind because uh, people, like I said, just 
Right, and part of the problem is is that all of this is happening, you know, behind. It's it's open to the public. You know, it's not like it's locked doors. But the fact of the matter is, is most people don't know this sort of thing is taking place. And so I think what, what's one of the things we can do? We can talk about it, like we are right now. You can talk about it at the coffee shop. You can talk about it at the supper table. You can talk about it with your friends. And if you don't think that's right, if you don't think that. Uh, that government at every level, especially the legislative process, should be constrained by rules, then um, you may not be as concerned as me. <laughs> yeah, no argument there. Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org. Uh, thank you for uh, being with us and uh, keeping such a close eye on what goes on down in Jeff. Ask your senator about how that all came down. Yeah. Ask your senator. Ask your senator whether or not they agreed with uh, that arbitrary and capricious application of supposed rules. And why is if what's good for the goose should be good for the gander. All right. Exactly. Ron, thank you. Appreciate it. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we're going to chat with Bill Slants. He's going to be with us, the Missouri Libertarian Party chair. Uh, we'll spend a few minutes with him. Dave Rowland is going to be with us. All that on Think Tank Thursday. It is uh, 1049, and uh, hopefully we're going to hear from Bill Slance, Libertarian Party, uh, Missouri Libertarian Party chairman, uh, talking about this marijuana law that uh, the LP in Missouri is not endorsing. Um, it, sounds, it sounds as though uh, libertarians are going to vote for it, but not endorsing it. I would, uh, it, it, because there are so many rules uh, associated with, it's like you got to thread the needle. Uh, it doesn't make the kind of changes that we'd like to see. Um, personally, I wish that politicians would wake up, that they would know their limits, that they would stop trying to prohibit people from abusing themselves, amusing themselves, or consuming whatever they choose it's not the government's job they're not the morality police they're not the good health police their job isn't to stop you from harming yourself it's only to protect you from somebody else and they just don't seem to get it but I'm hoping that Bill will call in he's, he's supposed to uh, and explain uh, the position, the, the formal position of the Libertarian Party. And uh, he actually is uh, <laughs> he's trying to call in now. Um, somehow he's forgotten the number. So <laughs> it's a Libertarian. That's the way, that's the way Libertarians work. Uh, so he'll come on and he'll, he'll explain that. Dave Rowland is coming up, too. Uh, he's going to be with us uh, in the next uh, hour of the program. Dave is always um, he's he's always got something really fascinating, uh, and I'm kind of anxious to find out what uh, what he is bringing to the table today. Uh, let me see if I can find this because I know I've got it here. There it is. Um, Missouri Supreme Court upholds law stripping state workers of merit system protections. Uh, he's going to talk about the Supreme Court a couple of days ago. Uh, he read a best uh, friend of the court brief ever. We'll find out what that was. But right now, Bill Slants is with us. 
He is the uh, chairman of the Libertarian Party of the state of Missouri. Bill, welcome. How are you? Oh, thanks, Gary. I'm very well. How are you? I, too, am well. So the Libertarian Party of Missouri is not formally endorsing this marijuana policy. Um, people are probably surprised to hear that since we're uh, in favor of legalizing uh, drugs. So what's uh, what's the reason that we aren't formally endorsing this? Yeah, kind, of, kind of an oxymoron, isn't it, Gary? Um, well, well, you know, yeah, you know, because you know, the Libertarian Party was founded on you know legalizing marijuana, and uh, still stands uh, uh, feels very strongly that uh, marijuana use should be uh, available to anybody, you know, any, anyone who wishes to use it. Um, the biggest reason why. Uh, we, you know, to, to be very clear about it, uh, we, we definitely want to legalize uh, the recreational use of marijuana, uh, but we'd like to do it with a fewer caveats, fewer fewer rules. Um, if you're going to legalize it, legalize it. Don't uh, legalize it, you know, with the exception of this, this, and that. Uh, our feeling about that, first of all, is it should be left up to the individual whether or not they feel like they should. Uh, 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 vote yes or no on Amendment 3. But my feeling about it is if you have uh, someone who's against this uh, and you have all this language, 39 pages of language on the Amendment 3, uh, any little tiny thing uh, you violate, this person who's against it can use it against you. Uh, so it, 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 you know, it's, it, it gets kind of messy. It's not something that the legislature should be involved with at all. Yeah, it should be cleaner than it is. How many ounces are you allowed to have of marijuana? I believe it's three. And if you have 3.1, 3.2? Then you've broken the law. I Man, it's just silly. Yeah, it's, it's just silly. And then, you know, let's, let's say, let me ask you a question. You know, so say there's uh, two passengers in a car, and uh, passenger A has two ounces, and passenger B has two ounces, and they just happen to set their stuff, you know, on the seat between them. Now what happens? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, so the reason, you know, we failed to, you know, not failed. The reason we decided not to endorse Amendment 3 was uh, because, it sh you know, it shouldn't be legislation. It shouldn't be an amendment anyway. It should just be the legalized period. Just legalize marijuana and, and, and deal with something else. Is there anything, other, anything else included in that bill that you find objectionable? Um, not off the top of my head, Gary. Uh, uh, you know, again, you know, these different pieces of language that, uh, again, I, I think that could be used against you, um, is, is what, you know, really, you know, keeps us, you know, from, from endorsing it. I will, however, tell you that I will be voting personally. I will be voting for it. Uh, so my feeling about it is, you know, Campbell's head in the tent. Uh, let's, 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 let's get the three and then, uh, Another year or another uh, session goes by, and we can get, you know, unlimited. Yeah, when the world doesn't collapse uh, because you're allowed to carry three ounces. I don't indulge. I've never smoked marijuana. I have no desire to smoke it. But I don't have the right to tell you not to or anybody else not to. Uh, I don't mean to imply that you use it. I'm just saying, uh, you know, generically you. And I wish that the, I wish that the government would wake up to the fact that this is simply not in their milieu. It's not their job to protect you it's from not, you. It's not their job. It's not their job. 
and you know, and again, you know, you could you know run down all these little you know uh, rabbit holes with alcohol and and all that stuff. It's, it's just not their job. Who are they protecting? And, and anybody who wants to do these things is going to do them anyway. So, <laughs> you know, my greatest fear is that they're going to try and profit at the state level with an enormous tax. And, and literally keep the private keep the underground market alive by overcharging. Absolutely, I mean, that's that's yeah, the company that's taxing. You know, obviously, they will do that. You know, and and, and license they're gonna, they're going to license each one of these dispensaries, right? So uh, you, you, you just like alcohol, you won't be able to sell it without getting uh, approval of uh, the the almighty uh, Missouri government. The guy hanging around the street corner selling pot isn't getting a license. No, he's not. And it just, it's just, you just wish that people would wake up. I almost said something dirty there, but I, I I held back. Uh, All right, we got a, we got a a pretty good slate of libertarian candidates. Uh, By all means, send them to us, uh, and we'll try and get them some airtime. Bill, thank you. Okay, thank you, Gary. All right, take care, Bill Slants, Missouri Libertarian Party Chair. That you just have to recognize that government has limits. And, the, and the, the more we ignore those limits and let the government regulate our lives, whether it's redistributing our wealth, telling us who to hire and who to fire, what we can consume, what medicine we can take, and until we wake up to all of those abuses of government, we will not be free. And that's my goal. I don't think I'm gonna live long enough to make it happen. But I want people to be free. That you've you've no idea how wonderful it would you know th- that it could be. Imagine not having to report every dime that you make. Imagine not being uh, coerced and threatened, uh, your house taken because you haven't paid your rent to the county. Imagine having access to whatever medicine your doctor wants you to have or you think you should have. There are pitfalls. You've got, you've got to be, well, what's the old the Latin, caveat emptor? You've got to be careful and do your homework. But freedom is worth everything that it costs us to get there. Uh, all right, Dave Rowland is coming up. He'll be with us in about uh, 15 minutes. I got an email, an interesting email, uh, about uh, the VA home in, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, VFW uh, building in Columbia. We'll chat about that for a few next. This is the Gary Nolan Show.